and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week we watched Joker, directed by Todd Phillips and released in 2019. The plot of Joker goes something like this. A down-on-his-luck clown named Arthur Fleck is radicalized and takes his rage out on the citizens of Gotham. And as we usually do, we will do a spoiler-free review of Joker up front before we talk about spoilers in more detail, although this movie is being well discussed um, by everyone. So if you want to find spoilers, they are all over the place. So yeah, Katie, should people see this movie? Like, I guess if you really want to. (laughs) If you want to, you know, be part of the conversation about it and actually be able to express opinions on it, that's the reason I went. That's the reason Um, I went too. But like, it's certainly not an enjoyable experience at the movies. It's certainly not a movie that I would ever, ever voluntarily see again. Mm. Um, I have seen this sort of storyline done better before, and it definitely thinks it's much, much cleverer than it is in almost every way that acting and the directing and all this other stuff. It's like, look how clever I am. Um, and it absolutely is not. It's like, it's definitely that kind of like edgelord. I'm so clever. It- now, I can't remember what it was we talked about a couple of weeks ago that kind of took a lot of things from other better mo- – Ad Astra. Mm. It, it felt, felt like that to me of like something that knows a bit of film history and has like taken visuals and ideas and looks and all kinds of things from other better films. Mm. Um, and it also – Themes. Yeah. I agree with you. It just thinks it's cleverer than it is, but it also commits the other sort of sin that – I always gets on my goat of looking down on on superhero, looking down on genre, mm-hmm. looking down on movies that have come before that have tried to do something different with comics or, or superhero genre movies. And that just makes me really mad as well because, like, you're not better than anybody else just because you do it differently or you, you're more arty or you're more cinematic or you've got Robert De Niro in your film. Like, good God, people. Well, I think that's sort of the um, – I think that's also part of it thinking it's cleverer than yeah, it is. It thinks it's, just, it's deeper than it is. Yeah. Like it thinks it knows all this mm. deep stuff. But I think it is sort of the opposite of those superhero movies in a lot of ways, mostly because those are movies that like know their superhero movies and or, you know, comic book movies and um, enjoy the trappings of that while also trying to explore something deeper. Mm. And this does the opposite. It doesn't explore anything deeper, but it tries really hard to upend all all of those trappings and all of those sorts of things. So mm. it just emulates like, you know, classic 70s filmmaking mm. without actually having anything deep to say. Mm. It doesn't have anything to say ultimately. Like it sort of starts out attempting to make some comments and mm. then, you know, it, it doesn't do anything with those. Mm. It doesn't do anything with the ideas that it's trying to present. So, yeah, yeah, I think that it is kind of the – uh, it, it has achieved its goal of not being a comic book like other comic book movies in that they're actually trying to do something. Like they're trying to say something and this isn't. Yeah. Oh, man. And we'll have, we'll have to get into all the other stuff as well later of like the way it portrays mental illness and disability mm-hmm. and um, all of the other things that uh, in particularly problematic ways. In fact, it, it was funny coming out of it. I, I noticed that Bradley Cooper is involved in this as a producer and it reminded me somewhat of a movie we saw about a year ago, which is um, A Star is Born, which also thought it was cleverer than it was and played with some fairly irresponsible portrayals of mental illness. Mm. So uh, we'll get into that, though, in spoilers. I don't want to kind of talk too much about that. But, yeah, 
yeah, if you want to, like us, be part of the discourse and, and actually see it for yourself, I guess, see it for yourself. But otherwise, no. Yeah. Like, even stuff like the cinematography, mm. like, it thinks it's smarter than it is, I think, a few times. It looks, like, yeah, it looks great, but it's been done before. And there's also, like, really overwrought metaphors, like mm-hmm. stairs that are very high and hard to climb that come back oh, a few times. Yes. Well, we can talk about that in the spoilers as well, but mm. yeah. So, I guess we can get into the spoilers now and yes. talk about the movie. Yes. Um, yeah. I have a note in mind that says the hardest working person on this movie is the cellist oh, performing the, on, the on the score. score. Yeah. Because <laughs> that cello is really working to try and add some emotion to scenes that mm. I, th- I think there's something very, very odd about the uh, decisions that have just like baffling emotions in this movie. Mm. Like e- almost every scene has baffling emotional weight to mm. it that is very kind of that that you can't like they're to- trying to talk about you know humanity and all this sort of stuff mm. but we can't get into joker's head like we can't understand what he's feeling or going through or whatever in most of those situations mm. and so you're just kind of like well this isn't adding anything no and- like i'm not i'm not feeling anything I was kind of relieved when uh, he started killing people because I was like, finally, this movie can try stop trying to make me feel bad for this guy. Yeah, I also like. I also don't think it necessarily knows Joker that well or the Joker that well. Like the Joker, to me, is he's smarter than this. Like he's portrayed mm. as having the ability to manipulate people and to um, bring people to his causes, and this guy just seems to kind of like have a lot of bad luck and stumble into being the leader of a movement like there's no particularly Heath Ledger's Joker I think it's probably the most influential just because it's most the one I kind of most recently remember best um that's probably deliberate shade on Jared Leto but he was smart he had he he, has plans he makes plans yeah to do things and then follows through on them yeah this this guy doesn't have any plans he's not like the clown prince of crime because he's not planning crime like the joker has you know he's trying to upend things he's trying to do something he is like this kind of um cause of anarchy but he Mm. like if you look at say the killing joke the Mm. most overdone um and overall comic book ever but at least he still has a plan in it like at least he's still trying to do something yeah arthur's not trying to do anything like he just you know, wants to feel better. Mm. And the only way that he feels better is by killing people, yeah. which is great. It's terrific psych- uh, psychotherapy. Like, yeah. awesome. But yeah, also not, but not the whole Joker thing. And like, the Joker really only works as Batman's nemesis. Like, a fo- if he has as, a foil. Yeah, if, yeah. And the, the, this isn't here. Like, obviously, we see young Bruce Wayne and we <laughs> once again see Bruce Wayne's origin story portrayed on film. With uh, the pearls. With the pearls. It's got to be hundreds and hundreds of times now. But, like, without him as a foil, like, it, when you pull him out of the context of Batman and as being a foil to Batman um, and as being as smart as Batman, as, as clever as Batman, but anarchic and evil mm. and criminal, yeah, you – lose the essence of who he is yeah and i'm not even that into batman or joker no. like i'm just really tired of it but like i think it's the first sort of 20 minutes of this movie is a lot of just holding long shots of joaquin phoenix acting with a capital a and like contorting his body and mm-hmm. like laughing while being sad that like you're like okay is this the whole movie is this 
all we're going to get. (laughs) Because it really feels like that in the beginning of this film. Like it just doesn't feel like and okay this <laughs> he's acting so hard he's acting so hard but there's no depth to it um but there's a scene early on where he's in like with his i want to say therapist but she just seems to be a person who like, like a is social worker who hands out his worker. drug prescriptions yeah she has social worker written on the badge that she's wearing okay i was wondering about that because he was like you don't listen to me and i'm like well, how, like is she getting paid to deal with you Cause... well i mean it seems like she kind of is though she's like have you done your journal can i have a look at the journal mm. but then she also seems like not that interested in like she sees something concerning in there and she's like oh dear well uh, yeah i think she well, because like i mean she seems you know under resourced and all that but... yeah and i think that had like touches but didn't go really go into like most of this movie <sighs> the the uh, Buffy concept of um, everybody else doesn't notice your pain because they're all there in they're all in their own pain, yeah. um, which was in earshot. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe the first time I encountered it, and that's why I think of it as that. But like you know, well, there's also the like there's this really interesting side story about the you know the social conditions going to hell and you know the economy is shot and people can't afford to live and there's a liter- the city is literally sinking under its own garbage. Mm. Um, that's all going on in the background that is interesting, but I don't think this movie does any justice to themes of those themes of, you know, the society's going to hell. And well, that's what I was wondering about. Like I was kind of interested in that stuff. Although Mm. I think ultimately it's become uh, a better metaphor for like, you know, incels and all those guys than it, than it, set out to be mostly because it's just about a guy who only cares about himself and is only interested in what's going on with his own life, who Mm. blames the women around him for his problems and then ultimately doesn't care about anything else. And 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 he's all, Oh, I'm not trying to start a movement, man. And I'm like, that, that is, that is actually very much them. Like the, and takes his problems and externalizes them as violence. Yes. And also the fact that he, influences all the clowns in the city who then ultimately influence his own look. Mm. Like the way that it all kind of is a cycle of feeding on each other, feeding on each other and like thinking that he's part of something or like, you know, looking like he's part of something when he's actually not part of anything. Yeah. And the, the joke is supposed to have grandeur. Like he is actually supposed to be the clown prince of crime. He's supposed to be this big, larger than life guy who, Mm. and this doesn't feel that way. It feels like he's, like he messed up yeah he wouldn't get there on his own it doesn't no because he doesn't he doesn't seem to really be good at doing much on his own no he doesn't seem Um, that smart but he also the like particular mental illnesses that he's supposed to have Mm. and like i have a lot of questions about that actually but um but like so he has the laughing condition Mm. right seems to be a result of one of his brain injuries Right. So he has the laughing condition, but he also has like clearly psychosis because he is like delusional psychosis mm. because he's got all these delusions. He will. And, and most particularly like Zazie Beats follows him around as his imaginary girlfriend for most mm. of the movie, which is great. You know, what a way to use an actress like her. Um, but um, like the, the thing is, his mother was accused of those things as well. Yeah. Right. So here's like what I'm thinking about in this, either he inherited a lot of that stuff from her. Yes. Right. And she actually was delusional and all that sort of stuff. And he inherited it. Mm. Or she was like, Thomas Wayne was gaslighting her. Mm. 
which is hinted at with that photo. Because um, she mm-hmm. says that he that Thomas Wayne is Arthur's dad, mm. um, and then Thomas Wayne denies it and says she was crazy. But then there's this photo, and on the back of it says "Love your smile, T.W." on it. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, she wasn't probably crazy. But Thomas Wayne but went to a lot of effort beaten to down, discredit her. Discredit her, yeah. And she was beaten down and then abused. Like by several men, mm-hmm. um, and so was Arthur. That was an interesting scene of them blaming her for that as well. I was like, "Did you arrest the guy who did it mm. and put him in the asylum?" Because, mm-hmm. um, but um, so like one of those things has happened, right? But in one of those scenarios, like the thing is, in the scenario where she is crazy, then he's adopted, so he didn't inherit those things from her. No. So, like, or did he? Is, was there a circumstantial? You know, like they weren't in, they weren't passed down, you know, through bloodlines or whatever. But living in that environment with her caused him to develop them. I don't know. I don't know, but, but I, it doesn't I think make sense that, that way. Kind, no, it doesn't. Especially not with the concept of them, because the the specific disorders that she that um she's accused of that she's accused of are definitely the things that we're seeing in um in Arthur through this yep. movie. Right that that was purposefully done. They yep. on purpose showed yeah. him as being this so delusional. She's his biological mother, right? But yep. if she's his biological mother, then, then she's not actually crazy. And Thomas Wayne was just gaslighting her, in which case she didn't pass down all of those things. I know. So there's a logic problem <laughs> within that, like that thing just, itself. Yeah, no, it breaks my brain. Like, because if she's mm. crazy, he's adopted. She didn't inherit them. Mm. If she's not crazy, then he's not adopted. So he didn't inherit them. <laughs> So there you go. Um, God. And yeah, the whole like, you know, mental illness and child abuse leads men to be violent criminals thing is super fun. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, yeah, this is what I'm saying before. Like there's a complex like interplay of systems here of like things that are wrong in the world and, you know, abuse and the systems that allow abuse to flourish and all that sort of thing. But this movie doesn't get into any of that. No, that's what. It's just like, oh, this is this woman is a terrible mother and now he's still living at home with her and sharing a bed with her and like good god yeah i think yeah oh he's on well there's no i don't know if he shares a bed with her but he there's a scene where he lays on her bed Mm. after she's died or after she's in the hospital and he like sniffs her pillow and stuff when he still likes her because then he ultimately kills her so yeah because you've got to blame women for your problems and there's there's really no consequences for that killing no, there's no consequences for anything um, for him. There's also this thing at the beginning of the movie, again, in that really, really boring first half hour, where first he gets up by – he gets beaten up by a bunch of brown kids mm. and then a black lady on the train is – on the bus is mean to him. Oh, my God. And you're just sitting there like, okay, yes, the poor – White man is being absolutely beaten down by all of these minorities around him. <laughs> what a hard life he has. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind of like, why did you choose this? And then the guys that he does ultimately kill are, all, are three white guys who beat yeah, him up. Yeah, three like Wall Street guys, which makes – see, that that could have been interesting. Like you could have had an interesting story about that Like mm. because that does make sense. These guys are horrible and they're wealthy and they think they're, you know, the Entitled. shit. And yes, and – they're living in this world that's horribly unequal and they do, they without any consequences for them. And so, yeah, that's, again, would have been – handled well could have been a really interesting story, but mm. just isn't. Yeah. Um, I think also there's uh, shades of Todd Phillips coming through in the uh, storyline oh. with oh, – boy. 
the whole storyline with the um, guy with dwarfism who is in the clown company. Clown, like, are they are clowns? They're clowns for hire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's who he works for. Yeah, who none of whom seem remotely interested in, like, you know, entertaining children or caring about anything. Yeah, no, like g- clowning seems like the most depressing business. Like, I, I wrote a note. Were clowns ever fun? Was it ever a funny thing to be a clown? Like, there's all this stuff around. This like, is set in the seventies, and like, yeah, there's all this stuff around like clowns and and clowns now and how. uh they're being unfairly portrayed in the media. Um, but you'd think that somebody, like, if you're going to go and work for a clown company, then you'd at least, like, you know, have a sense of humor I know, and right? some fun and, like, want to entertain children and yeah. stuff. That's what was baffling to me. I'm like, why are they all just, like, mm. horrible? Yeah. Um, but the, this guy is, like, the only person who was ever nice to – Arthur, mm. which is true, but I, you know, he lives in such a strange world. Um, and his mother was very nice to him. Yeah. So he ended up hating her anyway. Yeah. But um, the jokes that are made about him it reminded me so much of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, mm. where I was like, no, you don't get to like make the jokes and then get mad at the audience for laughing at the jokes. You wrote the jokes, right? Like this is. This is this whole movie, though. This is a whole movie where, like, they're like, oh, yes, we're being ironic and we're being – this is this is a bad example of a person and all this kind of stuff, except that they're not. They're making the whole thing heroic. Like, they're, ma- they're making the audience complicit in, like, making this guy a hero. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't think that he is a hero or, like, I don't, I don't think this movie – cares that much about the Joker being a hero. I feel like this movie is I think it's trying to do something that it's not actually doing, right? It's trying to go like look at all the things that come together to make a terrible person. Mm. But he's more just really a damaged person. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's sort of ultimately just kind of sad and not very and not like oh this is how this guy became a criminal mastermind no yeah exactly because there's no masterminding there's no real like like there's no forethought to much of his criminal activity Mm. right like the even up until the point when he's going to go on the robert de niro tv show He was planning on killing himself on air yeah. as the last joke. But while he's on it, he gets all riled up and ends up killing Murray. So, like, even that's not really planned. He hasn't planned anything. So, like, it, it's not even – I don't know. It's just kind of like, look at me, feel sorry for me, like, my life sucks. But he, it's he's not really a hero for it. No. He's just – a kind of pathetic figure for it, ultimately. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, yeah. But the way the movie... But it centres sh- him. Yeah, it centres him and it gives him all these, like, hero shots at the end as well of, like, standing up on the car in front of the crowds and, yeah. like, walking out of the, um, the you know, down the hallway in Arkham and all the, the way, all that stuff. Like, it just gives well, yeah. him all these hero moments of when he's, when he's I done. I think that a lot of that is, like, his, like... The whole movie is sort of how things are going in his mind. Yeah. Right? Yes. Like, we're never outside of his perspective. No, and we can't so that's trust kind his of, perspective. Right. So, mm-hmm. that's kind of what's going on in his mind. He's finally getting yeah, all of the recognition that he deserves. we see, though. Right. That's all we see from this movie. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's like, 
Yeah. Yeah, it's the worst. Ultimately, I think the problem is more that it's just not very good. Yeah, and um, it, well, that's the other thing. It's so predictable and, like, ugh, the metaphors are so unsubtle. Like, the, that, that flight of stairs that I was mm-hmm. talking about earlier – it looks like it's insurmountable until the very end when he comes dancing down it in his mm-hmm. full Joker regalia. Like, yep, cool. Like, nothing to me is a surprise. Like, the no. um, the parentage thing, um, there's a little – they try and fake you out a little bit with um, it thinking you thinking it's going to be Robert De Niro's character very briefly, but no, there's no, there's no fake out. Like, there's no real surprise at anything that happens in this movie. No. <laughs> More there's a – you know, kind of a relief when he starts killing people, yeah. like I said before. Yeah. But um, it kind of is. Yeah, it's it's not got. I think the perspective of it is very. It's like off to try and make the points that it's trying to make, mm. um, and I think that's part of the problem. But yeah, it doesn't. It it definitely seems to, uh, and and you know, especially the stuff that Todd Phillips has been saying since it came out. And how he keeps running his mouth and keeps, like, digging bigger holes for himself. Mm. But even he's trying to make it into something that it isn't. Like, when he's talking about, oh, you can't make comedy anymore because it's, like, too, you know. Well, yeah, and he put all those words in um, Joaquin Phoenix's mouth in the interview with Robert De Niro at the end as well. He puts a lot of those words in there. Yeah. Like, when he's talking – but the movie doesn't make that point. That's not Mm. what the point of this movie is at all. all. That all comes out of nowhere. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. This is where we were going? Like, I understand the part about, you know, nobody noticing if he's the one dying on the street. Mm. That's probably accurate in this world that he's set up, yeah, right? Yeah. But, that, but the bit about, oh, you can't make that joke, that that felt really on the nose. And, like, the director talking directly rather than and, – and also – but it also didn't feel like something that had he'd been concerned about up until this point at all. But also, like, when he's talking about that, he's talking about, well, I think it's funny that people are dying mm. and you don't. Therefore, you know, so humor is subjective. And you're like, what point is this making? Yeah. Really, because really, like, nobody thinks it's funny when people are dying, right? Like, no. nobody thinks it's funny that some guy on the, tr- on the train got murdered, you know, like, mm. in the crossfire between you and the cops. Like, this isn't Nobody thinks this is funny, right? No. Except you. So, like, this isn't really a point. Like, the, the concept of, mm. you know, like, humor is subjective and my humor was funny, but now everybody is too, yeah. like, woke to deal with it. You're like, well, that's not the point that this movie is making. No. Like, what are you talking about? And then he's like, so then I decided to make a serious movie, but he didn't. He he emulated serious movies. Yes. He didn't indeed. make one. And it, it it's not better for being serious. Like, the lack of, of humour, the lack of any kind of self-awareness mm. doesn't make for a bit – well, the lack of self-awareness really. Like it thinks it's clever but it's it's just really unself-aware and mm. unaware of what – in like dismissing comic books as, you know, like not high art or comic book movies as not valuable, it kind of throws out a lot of the things that make them work mm. and – Therefore, kind of, you know, it like heroes, yeah, like having somebody who isn't just a dick, yeah, like you can do, through. yeah, you can do a villain origin story, but you need to do it with uh, that. needs it needs more than they're giving it here, yeah, and, and but yeah, and also, I mean, Joker just is a character who works best when he's got Batman to play against, yes, 
when he has but that's because you have to have like and Batman two, both the light and dark side mm. and this movie has no light side it is all just mm. various shades of black and gray there's no levity there's no good people in it the only seemingly good person is actually a complete figment of his imagination I think Zazie um, Beats lives down the hall like she's yeah, like, but, she, but, but she's but, all of the yeah all of the scenes she's in her imagined except for the one where he breaks into her apartment and terrifies her and the one in the in the elevator yeah where, where she, she pretends to like kill shoot. herself yeah and ignores her kid so yeah, also, really like and that was also really like an unpleasant scene and not, right, not but, funny and like but yeah. what we see in that is that she's actually not that great no right no that or she's really tired i don't know what they were going for there but like all of it is just saying you know everybody's mm. horrible yeah so like it's just this very nihilistic worldview that mm. is purposeless and yeah very much it seems like it was made by a teenage boy kind of like suicide squad did like yeah. look how dark and terrible everything is oh, i know um <laughs> yeah i was thinking about that actually um joaquin phoenix and ben affleck are actually brothers-in-law like i would have been funny to watch the two of them play off against one another mm, yeah um i have a few notes i was gonna go through and see if i but of course god forbid this film actually went down the path of you know having a, a story of um, an actual comic story and an actual, you know, hero and villain thing go on. Yeah, There's also a certain thing in this movie, like, look at all the times that Joker, like, that Arthur is just a dick. Yeah. Like, a lot of the time, you know, most of the time it's excused away by his mental illness and stuff, but a lot of the time he's just a jerk for no reason. Yep. Like, you're, you know... <laughs> I find the smoking absolutely everywhere to be frustrating, but it's I do right understand next to the, the no smoking sign. Yeah, but it's like, oh, in no, the this 70s. is – Yeah, you're trying to make it the 70s thing. And, but yeah, and so edgy. Yeah, in the hospital, smoking in hospital. That score. Um, yeah. It's written by – Female composer. A female composer who's also a cellist called oh. Helen or something. Yeah, something's dotier. She's um, clearly Icelandic. Yes. And I think she studied under somebody else who's Icelandic who oh. – she – did some um, instrumental stuff on Arrival, which was that right, guy right. with the repeated name who died, I think. Yep. Who wrote just brilliant scores. Um, and I actually think the score for this is really good, if I, overbearing. Yes. I. Johan Johansson. Oh, yeah. Yes, I quite like the score as well. Yeah. So um, he uh, – and she did some work on Sicario as well, which he did. So I think uh -huh. she has studied under him. Ah, uh, yeah, that um, makes sense. Yep. Which makes sense, yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed the score for this, even though I found it really overbearing a lot of the time. Mm. I'd feel like that's not so much her fault as what the movie yeah, wanted. Yeah, and it was quite iconic. Like, yeah. it, it comes back in during the credits and mm. you're like, oh, there it is. There he, here he comes. Yeah, exactly. It actually it's, worked really well. Yeah. So I appreciated that, which is why I said she was the hardest working person in the movie. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, if she wrote the score and did the cello. Is the rats thing a reference to something? I feel like the stuff with the super rats was a reference to something and I'm not sure what well, it was. I, the news media, again, this is like, it was something they were trying to get at that was probably really interesting around how the news media whips up a frenzy and makes people, you know, behave in certain ways and the way they kind of, you know, things like rats become super rats. And I, I don't know if, if that was a reference to like the 90s um, Bill Clinton super predators or any of that kind of thing, but I don't know. Shooting someone live on TV is actually a reference to something that really happened on American television in the 70s, but I, yeah, I don't – Yeah, that was also about um, um, network. Yes. So – but the the super rat thing, I think it's more of like this movie wanted to make a point about the media and it didn't 
I don't think it made it in a particularly clever way, but it, it was always playing in the background. Or consistent. No, like, no. Because there was that shot of all the, all the TVs at the end and then just like a cigarette smoking, but like no context for that shot. Mm. I was like, what, what's the point of this shot? There was that, the early scene where he imagined himself on Robert De Niro's show and imagined the audience all like cheering for him and Robert De Niro hugging him and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was like, is this really what this guy thinks he deserves for just, you know, looking after his mum? Mm-hmm. Like everybody yep. should cheer for him because he looks after his mother. Yep. And, you know. He thinks he's a big damn hero. Yeah. <laughs> when he gets fired immediately after having like a shot of him being shirtless with massive bruises all over him, I was like, maybe just take your shirt off. Yeah. Like maybe. Maybe if this guy doesn't believe you about getting mugged, you could just show him all of the massive yeah, bruises know, all over you. Especially because we had like – there were so many shots of him wandering around his apartment in no shirt. I was like, yeah, we get it. Joaquin Phoenix lost, lost weight the- for this role. <laughs> That's what I've got. And there's a note as like the classic look how much, much weight I lost for this role shot Yeah, was the one we before took, like, it. Four, there was so many shots of that. Mm. And there's a bit where he gets into the fridge later on, which I was like – Again, doesn't pay off. No, it doesn't pay off. But I also wondered if it was a reference to The Shining – like Jack Nicholson freezing at the end of The Shining and then they're like, that was like this weird reference to another Joker. But I couldn't, that was a long bow to draw. And I was like, why? He's getting into the fridge. This is clearly a very dangerous thing to do, but then he just wakes up in bed and we never hear of it again. No, that yeah, it doesn't pay off at all. But also the look how much weight I lost for this role stuff. Mm. Like it seemed like when he was shirtless, he was popping his shoulders forward a lot more. But when he was walking around mm. in clothes, he wasn't doing that. Mm. And I was like, is this just, like, is he holding himself a specific way to make his shoulder bones pop out more so that you and can see cage. more that he's lost weight? <laughs> I think so. Is this just so that you, like, we're more impressed with how much weight he lost? Because he also does this thing where he lies back on the couch so you can see his ribs all the time. And you're mm-hmm. like, this is not, like, how he sits when he's not in clothes. So this is really all just showing off the, like... Mm. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, I also think there's something about gun control that this movie is trying to say and, like, how they should have, like, gun checks for mentally ill people because otherwise this is what you're going to get. Yeah. Which, again. <sighs> so weird. Like, definitely America needs gun control. I don't know that this is really what well, you're yeah, looking at like, for that. Yeah, there's all, that's right. There's all these, like, uh, points this movie nearly makes and doesn't. Mm. Um, I also am wondering what mo- what points it was trying to make with the other stand-up comedians that people were laughing at mm, mm. because there were no funny jokes in those. No, th- well, they were all awful. Like there was the guy talking about how men and women view sex and then um, he ends up with a horrible like joke about a disabled car park. It's yeah. horrible. And it's set in the 70s and I think it's trying to make a joke about uh, – make a point about humour in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But if if Todd Phillips views humour in the 70s the way he seems to, then he would have made those things funny. Yeah, he would like, have thought those jokes were funny. And, yeah, yeah, but but mm. I don't think even people who find that kind of humour funny found those particular jokes funny. Like they weren't well written. This is a guy no. who's written comedy. So I don't understand what the point was to those bits either. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think another problem I had was like because it's so intense from the start, there's not a lot of build up to anything. No. Like the build up's all kind of happening around him. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, it's slowly building up to him breaking. He's already pretty much there. He's like pat- punching bins and kicking bins and all this sort Whacking of stuff. Whacking his head against the. Yeah, that. Yeah, in the hospital. It looks like he's already been in Arkham. It does seem like he'd already yeah. been in Arkham. So I was like, what are we building up to then? Mm. And there's no Arkham. Like, Arkham is the important part of the Joker's origin story because it's where he sort of – that's where he gets his first followers and he makes mm. his first plan. That's The whole point is that the Joker is too smart for Arkham. Uh, that, 
Who knew that the characterization of the Joker was going to be the thing that bothered me the most about this movie? Um, this is one of the things that bothered me in this movie was the use of teal and orange. But <laughs> oh, well, the whole – I mean, it's beautifully shot, but also like it's not doing anything original with no. the cinematography. Yeah, the, the teal and orange. I even noticed on the curtains on the set. I was like, yeah. oh, my God, come on. I made a note that said eat the rich really early on and then there's actual newspapers that say eat the rich later and I was like, oh, Jesus. It's not subtle. Oh, the other big question that I have is, was this written for a much younger actor? Yeah, because the um, the, the actress playing his mother who played um, Jason Siegel's mother on um, How I Met Your Mother. Um, Frances Conroy. Yeah, I think She's she was great. also She's the been in lots Borg of Queen, one of the Borg versions of the Borg Queen or something. Anyway, um, she's great. And she would be, what, what came Phoenix, what, 45? And she'd be in her middle 50s, I would say. Oh, uh, I think she's older than that because she was also the mum on Six Feet Under, wasn't she? She was, yes. She's been playing sort of around the same age for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Born in 1953. So she's in her 60s. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Joaquin Phoenix is 45, looks – Definitely 45 in this movie. Yeah, it doesn't. And yet a lot of this. It's acting as though he's like 30, 35. I would say even younger. Yeah, well, because they're like, when you were a little boy 30 years ago. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. But it seems like it was written for somebody even younger because of the way that like, I don't know, it just, the stuff that he seems to be going through and the way that he behaves Mm. and things Yep, seems like, I don't remember exactly when I wrote the point about it being written for a much younger actor. It does certainly feel that way. But there was moments when I was like, is he supposed to be in his 20s now? Especially since he's part of the like Batman origin story at this point and he's going to be the guy that Batman is fighting when he's 30 which would put him at 75 when he's supposed to be the, like, well, main Well, 75, but, like, um, oh, it, what he's, 65, yeah. What he actually is, he'd be yeah. 75 then. From now, he'd be 65, like, well, from if, 30. That, if, he's four, if he's 45 and Batman's 10 at this point. Oh, that's true. Um, See, still, yeah, still no, that doesn't that doesn't add up. Well, also, the, just the what he's going through as well, mm. like, sort of trying to get out of home, trying to get his career going, all those sorts of things. It's not generally – the thing that's going on with someone of 45. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, it, uh, anyway, I think there's some stuff in the, like, calling the people clowns and so they all dressed up like clowns. Yeah. That echoes, like, the deplorable sort of stuff. Yes. Where, like, they called them de- – but the Hillary Clinton – And people but, embraced like, it. Yes, but it's the exact opposite group of people, mm. um, which is strange. Like, it, it's – the politics of the movie are, are very confusing. Well, I mean, yeah. Anyway, I – I think there's some overlap, but anyway. But I think the uh, clowns thing is really relevant at the moment, given that uh, it's very popular on the internet at the moment to call people who are acting like idiots clowns. Oh, is it? <laughs> yep. Um, it's it's a whole thing. It's all over the place. And it just seems to have like happened at just the right time for this movie to come out. Mm. Yeah, yep. so I made some notes of some of the on-the-nose music choices. So there's, there's music on the radio. Everybody plays the fool. There is um, If You're Happy and You Know It in one of his um, – when he's uh, performing for children, there and the gun falls out, and the gun falls out. Um, they obviously send in the clowns, which, by the way, I'll link to. There's a wonderful review online, a scathing review of this film uh, online, which 
one of its early points is we're supposed to believe that a bunch of Wall Street bo- j- j- I wrote- do- dudes would be off book on the second verse of a Sondheim song, yeah. which is just I'll, I'll link to that. That's just utterly wonderful. I wrote that. I was like, why does this Wall Street guy know all of the words to send in the clowns? Like, was he a theater kid at uni? I know. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the uh, the critic who wrote it wrote it much better than we can say it, so I will link it. But um, yeah, the uh, when he's fired, the song is called Carnival, which then comes back again later. Mm-hmm. He refers to it. Uh, there's also a song, I don't know what the song's called, but the lyric is, smile though your heart is breaking. Um, Hmm. Have I got everyone's terrible song? No, that's life. That's life, yes. Obviously, um, comes back as well. And also the Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times um, because, you know, I'm going to refer back to the the Depression and someone who made a film about anti-fascism, but anyway. But also that's about, um, yeah, it is called Smile. Um, the mm. song is called Smile. Smile, yeah. Um, oh, and then that's oh, about um, like clowning and like the history of clowning and what we used to laugh at again. Yeah, and the big uh, hero shot on the stairs of Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part Two, which song is one thing, but the artist is uh, an interesting choice to make. Well, I, it seems, especially since that is the possibly the least on the nose choice of the whole so- movie, yeah. it seems like they particularly chose that song mm. just to be trolls because that's the sort of thing Todd Phillips does. It is, it is. Yes, let's pay a convicted pedophile who is still in jail royalties to use yeah. his music because, like, oh my god, fuck those PC people, right? Like, yeah. yeah anyway. Anyway. Um, I feel like we probably have said everything yes. we want to say about this and movie. I, I've, uh, sorry about this, a wriggling baby here. but Yeah, so we might just rate it and yeah. and finish up. Two stars mostly for the quality of the cinematography and the score and the effort that people put in. I was going to say two stars as well. I did really like that score. But, like, also, I, I, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix put a lot of effort into this, mm. but I just think, feel like it's very surface-level effort. Like he's like, look how I change my body and contort myself and mm. do all these like crazy things to myself, but there's not a lot of depth to it. So no, two stars, two stars. All right. Thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're at screen underscore queens on Twitter and facebook.com forward slash silver screen queens. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>